0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That was the day I went to the shop and bought my first set of wigs.
1: And that was also the day I got my hairdresser to shave off all my hair. And I was like, look, you know, I'm ready for this. It was lots of tears. I took family members and friends to the barbers with me and, Um, we shaved the hair off and I don't know I just felt really liberated I felt so liberated I felt powerful I felt like I was taking control of the disease rather than take control of me Mm -hmm. um and I was like right I'm gonna rock the crap out of these wigs
2: Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, invite a guest to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today I'm joined by Leanne Perrault, who founded the award winning Movement Factory in 2001 at the age of 15 after leaving home following a period of abuse. And she has since continued to flip the narrative on hardship. When diagnosed with cancer and undergoing chemotherapy, for example, she realised there weren't enough wigs for those in the BAME community, so founded the lottery-funded project Black Women Rising UK to create more cancer awareness. I'd urge you to check out the Untold Cancer Stories photo series over on their Instagram. It's extremely moving. Today, as well as working on those projects, Leanne is an author, the CEO of the Pineapple Dance Studios charity, Pineapple Community, and has won scores of awards for her work. In this episode, we talk about finding inner resilience through hard times, and Leanne gives some quite practical tips, as well as discussing the effect those challenges had on her, how body confidence isn't the easiest thing necessarily to achieve, the power of great lashes, and getting over exes. Here's Leanne. Leanne, thank you for coming on the show. now. it's okay. Let's thank start you. with your childhood before you were ten. So where did you grow up, and did beauty or beauty rituals play any significant role in your household?
1: Um... I grew up in my first 10 years of my life in a place called, a small town called Fetford in Norfolk. Um, and no, it didn't, really. Beauty wasn't something that, you know, apart from, obviously, our Afro hair, um, beauty wasn't something that was sort of installed in us from a young age. It wasn't, you know, which i to be honest, quite thankful for. There was no sort of ritual with that. Apart from on a Sunday, you know, our mum used to, you know, do our hair for school because we had obviously afro hair Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and anybody that has afro hair will know you know it requires a lot of attention and treatment so what
2: would that ritual look
1: like oh my god so that was like oh it was tedious I'm getting the memories and the flashbacks now Mm -hmm. my god Um, it would require a wash and then it would require a treatment of some sort some some conditioning to soften it so that she could actually get a comb through it Um, and then she would grease it and I can even smell the, the smell of the grease it was like Dax grease um, anybody that has Afro hair or comes from a Black Caribbean household will know about Dax grease, green, smelly, oh, it's awful. <laughs> and then combing, which you know often
2: ended in tears. Was there any feeling of being a different colour to other people at school? Absolutely,
1: yeah, I've experienced a lot of racism in school. Yeah, my brothers and sisters will tell you a completely different story because there's quite a lot of us, and I kind of sit third from the, the seven of us, and I fit, sit third from the youngest. So I was the last one to kind of go into school. Um, but me being me, quite a quite sensitive soul. That was something that was very, very apparent from, from the get go was how racist it was. Um, and just how people would treat you differently for, for your colour, which mm-hmm. was very sad. Thing is, I'm come from a mixed race background. So my mum is mixed race. My grandma is white. So, um, you know, even that was, was looked at as, what, your grandma's wife? She's not your real grandma and, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, wow, the ignorance mm. is bliss, you know. Yeah. So we used to love it when we used to come up to visit our dad in London because, obviously, there were people just like us.
2: Between the ages of 10 and 13, you were sexually abused. Yes. Which led to your leaving home. Mm-hmm. 13 is very young. How did you find the inner strength?
1: I knew it wasn't right. That was one thing. I knew it wasn't right and I knew that I needed to tell somebody. And I had told a friend at the time and she was also going through something similar, which was really, really weird. And um, yeah, I just was reading one of my teen magazines and there was a problem page with a girl that was going through exactly the same thing as me. So I left that underneath my bed and I said, when the time is right, I need to obviously give this to the appropriate adult to, you know, reveal what's happening Mm -hmm. which is what I did Um, and, you know, as I've said on many occasions at the beginning of the accusation I wasn't believed this was a family friend somebody who was helping us out on a big scale um, and he was admired Um, so there was me, you know making an accusation which rocked everybody's world but unfortunately because of the animosity in the household I had to leave Because I couldn't, as a 13-year-old girl, I couldn't fathom, whilst that awful thing had happened to me, why I was being treated as if I was the enemy or or
2: the bad one.
1: So I left and went and stayed with my dad.
2: And you then found dancing and you said that it was something that saved you. Absolutely, Was it a form of outlet? Where were you dancing? How did you come to do that?
1: Yeah, do you know what's funny? My... The, the, um, the where I danced was like a youth centre that was attached to my school um, which everyone you know when I tell that story everyone's like you're so lucky you're so lucky yeah we were lucky you know it was one of the most terrible schools I would say in South London but you know there was a youth club attached to our school and they came and they asked us what do you want to do you know these were unbelievably amazing youth workers who have actually you know gone on to win awards MBEs and things like that now we were so lucky to have these youth workers but they asked us what we wanted and I think For me, you know, we had an amazing dance teacher. She was fantastic, you know, uh, helped us, you know, get to a really, really good level. And then it was me that sort of realised that I really, really, it was a place for me to go first and foremost and not go home because that was obviously very important for me. But it was also a place where I was able to put some of my own skills into things. So I was quite bossy and and things like that. I've always been that way. Um, So I was able to sort of lead on dance classes as well. What kind of dance? All street and hip-hop dance, yeah, yeah. and um, so eventually, you know, by the time I sort of got to fourteen, fifteen, I was helping, you know, deliver classes, mm-hmm. which obviously was amazing for me, but at the same time was also another focus for mm-hmm. me
2: and also I suppose gives you some agency like right? someone saying you're good at something giving yeah. you some money to do it yeah suddenly gives you purpose
1: exactly right? and then that 15 when I got offered you know we'll pay you six pounds an hour at 15 years old you know which is almost 20 years ago now it's like, like hell yeah. yeah you know I'm gonna take it Um, And that was the start of many, many things to come for me.
2: Now, I asked you before we started recording whether there was a relationship between dancing and reclaiming ownership of your body, and you said absolutely not. Yeah. I wondered if you could go into that a little bit. Um,
1: To be honest, a lot of people would say, yes, it it is. Um, There are many people that I work with now and and some dancers that would say, you know, dancing helped them find their inner goddess and all this sort of stuff. But it wasn't that for me. Um, It was so much more, it was a mental thing. Um, and that was that was it i I couldn't even fathom in my mind about getting over the the trauma of what had happened to me, and that that never happened until how many you know decades later, you know, which I know we we're going to go on to about when I decided to get real help for that sexual abuse case. For me, dance was just another focus point, something I could focus on rather than think about the way that people who were responsible for me had failed me so bad. Um, and also were the first people to really break my heart, uh, were the first people to show me what bullying was. You know, for me, that uh, dance was a great focus point. Mm. So trying to come to terms with, you know, regaining a relationship with my body or even thinking about, you know, sex and all of those things, those things never happened for me until Mm -hmm. very later on than Mm -hmm. many other people.
2: How did you turn that into founding the Movement Factory at 15?
1: Again, because it was just a fantastic focal point. Um, do you know what? That first class that I taught and I got paid for, it was completely packed. It was a youth centre, a massive youth centre hall. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we had, you know, over 30 girls in that First bus. Movement Factory class, yeah. really? Well, the first ever dance class I taught right? and then literally from there you know we did one class it turned into two from two it turned into four and then people started asking me and all the time you know I had gone to college at 16 to train in dance and then, you know, by the time it got to sort of uni time, there was no point in me applying in my eyes. I was like, I'm already okay. Was that
2: um, about 20 years ago? Am I right in thinking? It was 20 years ago. So that yeah. would have been um, when hip hop was really thrilling yeah. and, and the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What were the big songs? And it was like... Missy Elliott. Yeah, it's just about yeah, Missy Elliott. Elliott. Yeah, that was
1: when she was coming out with all of her amazing music. That was my first dance class I ever taught was to one of Missy Elliott's songs. Ron, right do you remember one minute man.
2: I didn't know that
1: one. Oh I am
2: going to put it on afterwards.
1: But um when it comes on the club I just get like goosebumps. Do you? Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, Oh my god, that was my first song I ever danced to and, you know that that was the beginning you know and obviously my first couple Movement Factory obviously 2010 onwards that Mm. Movement Factory was the new name before that and I get so embarrassed but for 10 years we were known as Brackout Entertainments. it's like a Jamaican pattern term for Mm -hmm. um, you know like sort of like dancing you know an expression or dance or whatever you want to call it but Mm. that's what we were called you know we were called for 10 years and and then you um, became the
2: Movement Factory yes
1: (laughs) via advice and from all the professionals i said you've got to if you want to commercially you know move this business forward yeah you need to change the name you know so So
2: did all your energies for like about 10 years go into that was that what you were really focused on i think all my energy
1: for a long time has gone into the movement factory and i think in my own sort of way it was a way of almost like you know coping mechanism mm. really but again as i said the dance and the movement factory black entertainments, whatever you want to call mm. it it's yeah it was the thing that has saved me
2: you must hear some extraordinary stories from people who mm. attend yes um is that kind of a common theme then that people are going to find some Absolutely. sort of solace yeah yeah
1: and that's why i couldn't pinpoint it to the beauty or, or the, the, the body sort of image sort of thing because actually there's so many reasons why people come to to the classes you've got young people that have got problems going on at home that need to come you know and and I'm not talking you know you've got domestic violence you've got drugs you've got addiction you know there's so many reasons why people come to the classes you know one thing that's, that's come up quite a lot lately is a lot of people coming because they're grieving you know and so they're coming to find a solace in some sort of way Mm-hmm. You know,
2: would you say you follow your heart and instincts, or are you someone who sits down, writes a plan,
1: kind no, of follows instincts? Certainly, it? okay. now that I'm starting to write plans, because I'm realising that you know it's, it needs to happen, <laughs> yeah. it good to happen. Uh, but yeah, okay. I am very follow the heart.
2: And tell me about your twenties then. So you're working, you're dancing a lot, you're teaching yeah. a lot. Yeah. Were they quite a happy? Was this quite a happy, peaceful period for you?
1: Not really, because again, I hadn't had the help that I needed. You know. Mm-hmm. I got to 25 years old um I was with somebody from the age of 17 um and when we were 25 years old he asked me to marry him mm-hmm. um amazing guy as well this this guy amazing guy amazing family uh really really took me out of a very very bad situation he did and um taught me a lot of things as well you know this was a really decent family brought up very well um and really taught me, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be driving if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't know about money management, do you know what I mean? All the sort of things that I never really got installed in me.
2: Almost like a parental um, role Oh, in he was respect. wonderful
1: in that respect. But one thing I realised where I was still traumatised by what I had gone through, bearing in mind I hadn't had any professional help, um, was when he asked me to marry him, I almost, I, I, I almost like to say that I, it was almost like I blacked out. I just completely had this melt like internal meltdown Um, and I didn't know where it had come from because part of me was like I can't marry him because I'm not ready that was the pivotal moment I realized I needed to get help because I couldn't see myself as a wife Mm -hmm. couldn't see myself as a mother the thought of having kids made me physically sick I also felt Very unworthy and deserving and it made me realise that I had a serious, serious issue with my own body image Mm -hmm. image of self you know, there was this what I realised was there was this hatred for myself and I was using my relationship with this guy who was fantastic you know, using my uh, you know, my business and things like that to shield me away from the responsibilities that we, as women, as men, whatever, um, you know, it should be our first priority, which is to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I was shying away from that. Um, and it took for that to come along, you know, and that whole relationship, obviously, I didn't marry him. It was, the you know, a couple of months later, he bought a beautiful house for us both, and I couldn't move in with him. Again, this whole thing happened. Um, and then, obviously, he just had enough, which mm. completely now, looking back almost 10 years on, Understandable, but at the time, how can you explain to somebody I love you, I want to be with you, but I just can't do that? Mm. And how can they understand? Obviously, now I understand it. Obviously, now that I've done the work and gone to all the trauma therapies and all that sort of stuff, completely get it. But that was crushing, um, and I almost overnight lost everything and that for me was when the rebuilding blocks had to come
2: right you almost have to learn from the ground absolutely there's there is a thing where when you've got some trauma you and you're tempted to shield yourself from it and you put really real things in a relationship a house whatever it is yeah it does, it, you're not dealing with it no. so it's you've got to do it's annoying i've had yeah. um a lot of psychotherapy and and yeah. they always say to me you've got to go back and deal with this thing and uh, i always want to go why no, can we just I leave it alone I, <laughs> I don't I want to pull at that thread I again know. it's I always say that as yeah well. uh, you've got to be ready to do it i think though like that's the yeah, other thing it's be it, so otherwise busy. it's so hard <laughs> You said that when you came out of that relationship, that's when you realised maybe that you hadn't been grooming or looking after yourself in the yeah, in yeah. So the when way I'd come out like. of that
1: relationship and I'd realised I'd got to the the rock bottom of you know you know the breakup from that. Yeah, I completely realised that I hadn't put myself first. I'd realised, obviously, I was still suffering from post traumatic stress disorder. I realised that I was um, you know that mentally I wasn't there yet, but I I wasn't looking after myself because I wasn't putting myself first. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a dislike for myself. So the first set of therapy that I went to, you know, after the, the, the situation, I think it was after a few of the sessions that I realised, hold on, you know, wow, you know, look at, look at this great aspect about you. You know, why not do your hair? Why not do your nails? You know, why don't get, you, you know, this dress and, you know, you're not fat and you're not this. And, you know, it was all this kind of trying to put out positive mm-hmm. self-talk and starting to get away some of that negative chatter that was in my brain and had been in my brain. And for me, you know, everybody was saying, yeah, and I know you're going through a lot because it took me years to get over mm-hmm. um, my, my ex. And the way that it ended was quite negatively, negative as well. Um, and that, remember, that was sort of 10 years mm-hmm. of my, my whole life. Um, adult life so that all that was all I knew. So it took a long time but you know, people would constantly say, Leanne, I know you're going through hell, but can I just say something to you? Like you look the best I've seen you, you know. And that constantly was was just from there.
2: How did you get over it then? What what helped? Was it just time? Time number one,
1: a lot of therapy. Mm. A lot of therapy and self Healing, a lot of self healing books. Um, when I realized I was really depressed, and my doctor said, Look, you know, do you want antidepressants? And then he went to me, No, I know you, Leanne, actually. I really, really know you, and I know for a fact you're not one of those people that are suited for antidepressants. Actually, I think you can take yourself to the library, go to the self help section, and pick out a book and read it. And do you know what? That advice turned into the best thing because mm-hmm. I was able to read and look and do things and I'll be honest one of the biggest things that changed my life was just the gratitude practice oh really yeah of just writing down 10 things every day that I'm thankful for that little exercise helped me no bounds mm. it really changed my life and I did it even when the days you know when I when I used to feel still didn't even get out of bed I used to sit up and I used to do that and I would always find 10 things I'd be like do you know what yes I feel like crap but I'm thankful for another day.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and, and it was stuff like that. that if you I sit think. down and write down 10 things that you have, it's astonishing how oh quickly that list fills exactly. up. It takes no time at all. Exactly.
1: Exactly. A one minute task.
2: Yeah. So then i'm thinking about you being in the library and reading and helping yeah. yourself and then later on you went to write take control yeah <laughs> is that what made you want to write it four then? years ago today really yeah. oh congratulations thank you
1: four years ago today is that genius. when you published yeah, it that's when yeah I published it. that's when it came out i did my little launch party and stuff yeah so when obviously i was going through the healing process and obviously during that time um i just wrote you know it was almost like a seven day book Mm -hmm. and it's all different chapters about different things in my life and I was able to touch on a lot of things up until that point Mm
2: -hmm. you know yeah and also I wondered what advice you'd give someone who's listening and you know they're struggling to take control of their lives right I think this is there's always there's often a blind spot either it's money or it's relationships or it's career progression or it's looking after yourself And take control is such a powerful thing to say anyway, right? Like, own your Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. But for anyone who's shying away and can't get in and doesn't know how to approach things, what would your advice be?
1: Do you know what my advice would honestly be, which I've done as well, is to take yourself away for a little bit, just to have some you time. A lot of the time, our brains are so scattered with everything else, Mm -hmm. everyone else, apart from ourselves, And actually, I found solace in turning the phone off and going missing for a few hours and just sitting down with my mind and my thoughts, doing a bit of mind dumping. You'd be amazed what a piece of paper, a piece of A4 paper and a pen, and just sitting down and kind of dumping what's on that mind on that sheet, what that could do to somebody. Like, what are the problems? Like, ask yourself questions. I do that. You know, I've recently done it in January when I was feeling like rubbish. What's wrong with me? What are the things that are bothering me? Who are the people who are bothering me around me? Because that's a very important thing as well. What's rattling my spirit right now? What am I not doing? You know, And then and what I find, this really centres me. And then what I'd done in January, and I've done this before as well, but I'm just talking about because it, it was so recent. What I did was I actually did that task until I felt better every day. So every morning I'd wake up and I was recovering from an operation, so I had nothing to do all day. Um, but I'd wake up at about seven o'clock when I knew the house was still quiet. And I would, for, you know, half an hour, an hour, sit with a bit of paper and I would just centre myself. I'd write the 10 things I was thankful for. But I'd also ask myself questions. Are you OK this morning? How are you feeling? What, is, what are you going to do today for you? Mm. You know, because I feel like that's what it's all about sometimes. It's not about all the other circumstances that are around. You know, if I think about it, there's many people around me who I love and I'm very close to who are going through a lot of stuff right now. But forget about that. And they rely on me for my support. That's fine. But it's all about me. And how do I feel? And what barriers am I going to put up so that these things don't affect me as well?
2: You said in that, what are you going to do for yourself today? And I wondered what some examples of that for you might be. Yeah.
1: So, for example, one of the things for me would be like yoga. You know, last year I was so busy from October to November. I didn't go to yoga once. And yoga is something that really, really helps me. So it's like putting in the yoga time. Uh, Do you know it sounds going to be crazy, but cooking myself a meal of choice rather than on the run grabbing something I know is going to make me feel bad about myself. Um, It could be, like, lately I've signed up to the new gym and, and I've, you know, booked a really cheap personal training session in, you know you can hear some uh, noise sorry that's monty barking <laughs> yeah, I know, I was yeah. Say. yeah um it could be you know if you've got some excess cash buy yourself something um i need to slow down on that because i'm going a bit over budget on that, <laughs> but you know or it could be go for a walk you know one of the things i was able to do when i had a bit of time off the doctor said i could go for a walk up to two hours a day so you know what? Mm. i'd take myself out and go for a walk but to be honest i couldn't be bothered but i was like do you know what I know it's going to make me feel good about myself, so let me go. And those are the what we do, you know, to start rebuilding that sense of self.
2: When you're finding time for yourself and you're doing all these things, because you've spoken about yoga and dance Mm -hmm. and lots of things that you do that good for your body, are there any things that are more superficially beauty that make you happy? Because that call to mind, my thinking, if I have time, like an extra 20 minutes... I will exfoliate my body in a kind of weirdly obsessive absolutely. way and I yeah. find that really soothing. Yeah. Was or is there anything like that for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It could be like my makeup, for right. example. But I have this this crazy thing about my my lashes, for example. I love lashes and obviously I've up my Great lashes on that, thank, thank you. <laughs> um I love putting on lashes and I like putting a little bit of makeup on every day. Um and when I don't, I don't feel very good about myself, you know, and but that's my thing you know and it's actually allowing myself to feel to think you know that's my thing and I'm allowed Mm. to to feel like that um so if that means like half an hour I have to make sure that everything else I do up until that point and I give myself that half an hour Mm -hmm. to do my makeup then then that's what I'm gonna do you know um and I definitely think it comes down to that even like just having your like you know like that bath time routine of making sure a bit like yourself when you're talking about exfoliation i like to put like a face mask on and all of that sort of stuff sometimes when you're tired and you get back from a long day you don't want to do all that all you want to do is jump into bed but it's actually saying no i'm going to take the time to do this Mm -hmm. for myself you know i'll give you a really good example again you can see i've got my little bit of afro out and do you know what i never ever do my own hair i always go to the hairdressers I never do you mean do.
2: you never wash your own hair
1: i do wash but what i do is i do a, little, a quick wash then i go and then they do all the conditioning and oh, love, love. straightening and do you know what i absolutely adore it i have a lovely hairdresser she comes to my house she says but do you know what i said tonight you know i'm gonna do it myself mm-hmm. and so i got the products and yesterday night i did my own hair conditioned it you know made sure i plattered it all up and everything so it was all lovely and fresh in the morning and it felt good yeah you yeah. know, but it felt really alien going in the shop and buying the products because so i was like oh my god i'm not used to this but <laughs> and i didn't know what to buy yeah but i was like Do you know what? this is me taking ownership of myself yeah and giving myself the time to look after
2: myself for anyone who's listening and um wants to buy the products you bought what did yeah.
1: you buy what did you find work <laughs> okay so i bought like this um aunt jackie's uh, conditioner so it's from like an afro hair uh, Af- afro-caribbean hair shop So it's called aunt jackie's and it was like a curling custard cream conditioner something like that and then i just bought like a jar of coconut oil because that's what i like to use for my hair yeah um and that's that's quite nice when i'm doing like the treatment in the conditioner so that's quite nice
2: So, in 2016, you suffered from cancer and underwent chemotherapy and a bilateral mastectomy.
0: Yeah.
2: Hair and breasts are so tied up with ideas of womanhood. Mm. How did that affect you?
1: Oh, it was awful. You know, I'm very honest about that. And I say to people when I went through cancer, my God, can you believe I went through a lot anyway? You know, so by the time cancer came back around, I'll tell you what my sister said to me. The day I got diagnosed, she came to the house and she went... Why does it always have to be you? Everything bad. You were just getting your life back on track. And it was the truth. You know, I was 30 years old. I'd released the book and I thought that was it. You know, life goes on from here. But, you know, life had other plans. And look, the worst, worst words you ever want to hear in your life is that you've got cancer. Let alone that you have to go through chemotherapy and have breasts removed in any shape or form when you haven't had children or when you're not in a long-term relationship or anything like that and for me going through this eight months of treatment which took me from myself that person I'd worked so hard to be to a person who was two stone more a person who had lost all their hair every single piece of hair in my body you know when you're on chemo and you have all the storage you get this really puffy look you know and Again, you know that the the more serious things were that I was. It worked out that I had, you know, because of my mum and had breast cancer twice. You know, we adopted for a double mastectomy, which obviously meant I was losing both my breasts. Um, and then there was obviously a question about my fertility, which is still a question. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have children or not because chemo stops your your periods and stuff. So yeah, you know, there was times I was like, well, I'm not. I don't even feel like a woman, and. Everything that society says for us women to be, who we are, all that went, you know, and I had to dig so deep to, to find myself again, you know, but I tell you what really helped was when I realised that I had went through quite a lot of tests and um, they checked for spreading around the body and stuff like that. And there was this question about something that they'd found on my liver And I remember at that time, using the kind of gratitude practice I had, I was like, look, please let it not be on the liver because if it's not on the liver, then I know I can beat this. And it turned out it wasn't on the liver. So I was like, right, that's it. I know I can beat this. And it was really weird because I managed to turn it around using the skills that I'd learnt from my other traumatic experiences. And from that moment, and I remember it was December the 10th, 2016, when I realised that I I was going to survive this even though chemo was tough that was the day I went to the shop and bought my first set of wigs and that was also the day I got my hairdresser to shave off all my hair and I was like look you know I'm ready for this it was lots of tears I took family members and friends to the barbers with me and um, we shaved the hair off and I don't know I just felt really liberated I felt so liberated I felt powerful I felt like I was taking control of the disease rather than take control of me Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like right I'm going to rock the crap out of these wigs you know Um, and at that point I still had a little bit of eyebrows and things Um, and my friend does so many permanent lashes and I said to her look would you be able to put some on and she was like look I'll put them on but I know they're going to fall out Mm -hmm. so she put a few on and for a week I was going around with this lovely bald head and lashes and whatever. And uh, you know, it was lovely because people were like, Leanne, you know, I'm not gonna lie, you look you look better without hair and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, and I was getting a little bit and then um it was fantastic because you know I just bought loads of little packs of lashes and was just practising putting them on and I found they made me feel human. I would go out on the street and no one would know anything. would wear the wig. It was in the winter when I obviously got diagnosed so wear the wig put a lovely cap on as i would have normally done big hoop earrings as i'm wearing now you know and i'd put these lashes on in the makeup and no one would know and that was perfect for me because i you know i wasn't on social media and all those sort of things because i had gone into hiding Mm -hmm. from the disease so when i'd go out on the street or if anybody would take me for dinner or anything when i was well enough no one knew and that was the great thing and i'd walk into all these cancer support groups and people would be like oh, are you waiting for your mum? And I'm like, no, I'm here. Because mm. number one, I was young. <laughs> and number two, you couldn't tell. And when I'd turn around in these groups and be like, no, I've got can- I've got breast cancer. And I'd be like, I'd take my wig off, but it's a wig. <laughs> yeah. And then people would be like, oh my God, you look glamorous. You look fantastic. <laughs> not- <laughs> what are you doing? And I'd have to like forward the women to like where I get my wigs from. And, you know, so it was one of those things where I kind of took control
2: yeah.
1: of, my beauty in that way through a time when, you know, I wasn't in control.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.
2: during all of that though you you then went on to found black women rising mm-hmm. uk which is a lottery funded project aiming to create more cancer awareness amongst the BAME community yeah what gave you the idea to do that and and where did that come from do you know what
1: i'm a writer obviously so i love to write and journal and i journaled my cancer experiences which i released on my website and obviously you know uh, cancer charity national cancer charity breast cancer care came across one of the blogs and asked if they could post it on their blog their blog site and i was like yeah go for it and oh wow it was wonderful the response i got was out of this world but i don't think it was more so the response it was more so the amount of women from the black and asian community that were messaging me saying oh my god it's nice to see another brown girl you know talking about cancer i've got cancer girls younger than me with cancer um, but the stories that came back were really bad like women that had the same problem as me we'd get a free wig so you get a free wig when you get off to go on chemo and you'd go to the hospital for the wig and they'd have nothing in the like for, for like you know black and Asian women they'd have nothing in terms of afro or if there was it would all be sold out and then it'd be like oh just take one from the other section and it's like this is not appropriate you know mm. um uh, There was just so much situations people had to deal with. You know, obviously language barriers are obviously a massive part of it. You know... (sighs) some of the way people were treated on the chemo ward but most of all what they were getting from the communities that they live in and that they come from you know people saying oh you know cancer's not a black disease oh it's a curse for the things you've done in the past yeah this is what some of the women were being told some of the women were still expected to entertain their husbands and boyfriends even though they've come from chemo you know didn't want to see them bald um oh (laughs) The magnitude of stuff. Oh, you know, women that were told by their partners not to remove the breast. Keep it to yourself. You know, there was also, you know, a young girl that I I, I work with now. And she's she was told by her mother who had cancer, you know, not to tell anybody. And then unfortunately, the mother passed away. And then she got blamed by the whole family for keeping it to herself. And these are the burdens. And this girl's 18 years old going through trauma therapy now thankfully, that a project like ours existed to be able to refer her to these services. But again, you know, we're not saying that white people or, you know, whatever other race isn't going through the same problems, because I think there's different problems with everybody. But particularly for the community that I'm in and I serve, for me, it was very important to get these voices heard and get these stories heard, because so many people within our community are getting diagnosed every day. And I'm telling you now... When you talk to the oncologists and you talk to the surgeons, these are the communities that are refusing the treatment because they believe God is going to save them or they believe that a natural diet and cannabis oil was going to save them. It is not always the case, you know, and this is where the problem lies. So the project was, you know, first born with just a peer to peer support group so people can chat. Mm-hmm. and then the idea of the portraits came because I got my pictures taken and the was just amazing and these pictures came out beautiful these pictures are extraordinary you know yeah. and um, we were just like imagine if we could get a couple of other women and then mm. do a massive launch and then get people to start talking and invite some charities down to talk to us and mm. you know from their bloody hell the rest is history the whole project went really really viral and it really sort of stirred up a lot in the cancer community in terms of everything from advertisement campaigns you know, to, um, you know, just we're going into churches, schools, you know, all types of events, talking to people about our experiences and, you know, just why it's important for our communities to come together with this because it doesn't exclude and it's on the rise and people are dying. How are we going to reduce that? Mm
2: -hmm. And those pictures that are really powerful when you look at them, there's a lot of conversation now about, having images to look at that represent different groups different communities the way different people look and did you think that showing that was really important to the Bain community in particular so that they could see that that was going on it was so important and obviously it was very uncomfortable for a lot of people Mm
1: -hmm. so uncomfortable i remember people coming in i've saw men coming in going you know why have we got that up for why does it have to be like this i remember being trolled being why do you have to get our women to strip you know and it's like well this is the things we have to do to get you to get those conversations going and that ownership you know? of
2: women thing, oh yes, wait, it's it's, you don't even know
1: there was a man that came into the exhibition and hid his eyes That's and i was awesome. like what the hell are you doing here he hid his eyes like that and walked in and again it's all the stigmas the cultural myths and taboos mm. that happen in our communities that are making people do that and do you know what we need to get comfortable with this but also what i was also doing was trying to highlight that these women, some of these women were three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years post treatment. But guess what? Those physical scars and mental scars are still there. So don't think that they're okay to get onto feeding the kids or because of this or you know, they can get back to normal again and have sex like normal and you know, be normal again. There will be never any normal going through what we've gone through. So that was important for let people to let people know that there is still a hidden battle that you wouldn't even believe, which is still happening, you know? Because mm-hmm. that was another thing. Women 10 years on from treatment and the hair hadn't grown back because they were so traumatised because they hadn't been understood and they were expected to get back to normal life... Straight after treatment, and it's still happening, which is very sad. And I know it happens across all communities, but again, it was so important for us to highlight.
2: You've spoken about the anxiety that comes with checkups now, um, mm. and that that's hard. Yeah. Did anxiety creep in in any other way for you? I mean, I know that you've you've had therapy and help and different different ways mm. of dealing with it, but I wondered if at any point anxiety has just floored you during your oh, life. Oh, awful! Even in January, I had terrible anxiety
1: new year, new expectations. Anxiety is something that I think I never realised how much of a feeling it was, you know, and I think more and more people can relate to it because there's more and more pressure on us in this day and age to be the best, look the best, you know, be ahead of everything. And us as well, you know, we're exposed to everyone else and what they're doing too so you're you're constantly comparing ourselves we're humans at the end of the day Um, and we're living in a very very different time and I think particularly now because I've gone through the therapies and things like that and I'm still going through therapy I'll tell you something I never realised how much I had suffered from anxiety the same as I realised I didn't realise how I'd suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder Um, you know I didn't realise all of this stuff until Mm -hmm. obviously later on in my life um but anxiety huge huge, huge, huge problem that I constantly have to battle for sure
2: and is there are there any other techniques other than the ones you 've mentioned that work particularly well? Um, I body? would
1: say yoga, oh my god i 'm literally dragging everyone to yoga now i 'm actually in the process of setting up um a, a regular class just for sort of like community based um, women um, and young people. To come. I love
2: that anything yeah. you love
1: and find works. So like, I'm like, I'm going to set something up. It's so great because you know why it's so helpful. Yeah, I remember in January, absolutely floored by it, and I remember calling my sister and I was like, I can't breathe, I just can't breathe. Why, Diana? I can't breathe. And I thought, you know, there's no point in me complaining. I put myself onto the yoga class, and I went. It's very slow, and I came. I was, I was fine, and for me, it's just like. This is so healing. Oh, I just can't recommend it to people enough. And again, you know, it's it, why are people attaching that kind of cultural thing to it? Oh, I'm not doing it because it's religious and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, I get it. There are some really spiritual teachers, but there are some also teachers that just get down to the movements yeah. and everything else like that.
2: And oh, now I'm not doing it, and it's just like, okay, uh, well then. That's people fine. have so many weird assumptions about yoga. Absolutely. I'm like, it's literally just about being in your body and it's like moving body, in yeah. it and breathing, and it's just a lovely experience really so now your job is is quite varied the tentacles stretch far and wide (laughs) and you do lots of appearances you do lots of you do modeling you do things Mm. where you're the poster girl I know how
1: quite
2: weird yeah how do you now feel about your appearance being used as part of the cause so weird I had to
1: get over myself obviously as I've explained and been quite honest about like body image is something I've suffered with from the beginning of the time, <laughs> um, from the racism down to, you know, coming into London, the sexual abuse, into the relationship, coming out of the relationship, dating, you know, that kind of also being a person coming from a relationship who's never dated, you know, dating for How many years Mm. and constant rejection? Because actually, there's just some really crappy people out
2: there. That's the hardest thing, though, about when you go back to dating after a relationship. Because you expect that the first one's going to go really well, and you're like, oh shit, I have to go through this again. And that
1: constant rejection makes you feel like crap.
2: Yeah, you
1: know, and then cancer, and then uh, so putting myself out there in terms of a lot of the campaigns and stuff that I was doing, there was some serious chat I needed to do with myself. And again, you know, getting myself prepared for these things yoga helped Mm -hmm. with just the self-affirmations and just clearing that negative chatter out of my head Um, but actually just reminding myself about the things that I'd gone through and the fact that I'm worthy and if they're asking me to do these things why not you know Mm -hmm. there was a campaign that I did for Zolando and that was the first campaign that I'd done where I actually had to kind of audition for it type of thing um, and I remember telling myself, I'm not going to do it. And I even remember when they asked me for a video, and I was like, they're not going to do it because I, I remember I was had no makeup on, and she was like, I need it in the next 30 minutes. And I was like, but I need makeup, and I was even going to run to the shop and buy it. And then I was like, do you know what? No, I'm not doing it. And I had this feeling, I'm not going to get it. And then I got it, and I, you never guess. I, I turned up on the fitting day, and I said, Why did you pick me? And the woman looked at me and she was like, i've loved your story i love what you stand for and i remember thinking i should have never have asked that because i should have been content in myself to know i deserve these things you know but i had to get over myself a lot with Mm. those things to put myself out there and again it is an internal battle but you know Mm. i think about the cause and i think about you know me obviously representing my communities and young girls that messaged me asking me how to check their breasts and telling me that you know these stories about the fact that you know they're talking about cancer and uh, you know i'm helping them getting through chemo and all this stuff so it's it does Mm. it's all got a cause
2: do you experience as much racism now do you think in the uk as you did when you were younger um not necessarily
1: directly no i don't receive that um i think living in london is fantastic I've done a lot of travelling jobs around the UK, training and stuff, and I had received—I I have received a lot of racism and, and not really been supported in it because apparently it's just like the norm, isn't it, to be stared at and heckled at and whatever. Um, And that will always have an effect on how you are as a person. A lot of people like to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm not one of those people. Um, Again, I'm from a very mixed-race household, you know. So uh, I'm one of those people, I'm very, very honest about it, you know. The colour of my skin has been um, a a hindrance in a lot of ways. You know, you can see it even online, do you know what I mean? You know, I can be up on a blog that is um, like a predominantly white cancer charity or a white... Cause or whatever, Um, and then they'll put me up on there and be like, Hi, you know, this is Leanne, and blah blah blah. And you'll see, I won't get much interactions, I won't get people commenting on there doing what they're doing to the rest of the girls. Oh, you're beautiful, you're inspirational, I love you, you know, blah blah blah. You won't get that with me when I'm putting me up on there. And I know it's because my color is a barrier. Um, I've been trolled, I've had people say things like, Oh, you know, why are you just talking about black women? It's not about race so many of those ignorant people race, racism doesn't exist and i'm like oh god come on do you know what i mean and it's just like come on but then on the flip side of that you know there's a lot of it that isn't the do of race i think it was just about getting the stories heard mm-hmm. um, and saying that actually let's make these campaigns and let's make the work that we do reflect everybody going for it because actually you, huge huge brands could have such an impact on saving people's lives from all ethnicities, not just one. I spent a lot of time the end of year last year feeling quite down about it because I was like, wow, you know, how can people be so nasty? But then I just have to also understand that this is something that when you put yourself out there, you will get trolled.
2: Are you still dancing? No. Okay, so what do you do then now to look after your body and mind? Is it yoga and...? Yoga, and I've recently... So I I had a lot of after... I had a lot of uh, anxiety
1: in Mm -hmm. regards to like sort of going into like physical fitness like gym and stuff like that the anxiety was crippling and I think it was down to just how I felt about my body you Mm -hmm. know scared to go back into the gym and all of that sort of stuff so what I've done is this year I've actually rejoined a gym and I've done like a personal training session and tomorrow I have a pilates class that I'm going to so it's all about self-care yes
2: this year so I've started out well I've noticed you've got a tattoo on your wrist.
1: Yes, I
2: have. Is yeah. it one?
1: I've got loads.
2: Do you? Yeah, like, I've got gratitude on my what, chest. Excellent. What makes you get them? Do you just get them at important arm. moments of your life? Not really, just random.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have free. tattoos, I love I them do. too. Yes, and I'm like
2: I, I like going and I just there's something yeah. so addictive about oh, being is. tattooed. I do not feel really like powerful when I yeah, go get them too. Me too. <laughs> so how many do you have now? Um I think six so six now yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah keep going yes yeah
2: Planning <laughs> <And laughs> yeah. the next are you me too i'm like i'm yeah. desperate to I don't. yeah <laughs> if i asked you now to name your top beauty products that mm. you love having on your shelf and i mean like perfume skincare body care mm-hmm. anything what would you say Jo Malone. any um, particular stuff? english pear mm. and
1: freesia is nice it? yeah and um i love the doctor organics um aloe vera gel with cucumber mm-hmm. i put that on as a base before i put my makeup on which is amazing i love smashbox prime water that is like my
2: oh people who love that love
1: that this, yeah i absolutely love that mm-hmm. um so those are my must-haves that's what i walk around and all oh, maybelline oh i don't know. i can't remember what the lip um color yeah the lip color is it's matte so, it is a matte right it's on a little Stick, but I can't remember. I'll
2: find it. Yeah. Okay.
1: I've got it in my bag. But I okay. Can't yeah. And um, so that's that, and then so those are my essentials that I walk around in. Oh my god! Obviously, lash glue, mm-hmm. Duo lash glue, clear one, the clear one, <laughs> the, clear one. Yeah. the fast drying one. Yeah,
2: yeah. And
1: yeah. Um, that is like which lashes do you look. wear then? Okay, so I used to always go into Primark and get the So lashes, and they're five pounds. If you go onto um, if you go online, mm-hmm. they're usually about twenty quid. Per pack, but Primark done a collaboration with them, so soon, okay. and um, they're in there for five pounds each. So I always go in and buy like five five packs just to kind of justify this. Recently, in my Afro Hair and Caribbean shops, I've been finding these amazing lashes. Are those from an Afro? Yeah, because yeah, they're great. They're literally four pounds. Wow. I know, so it's like you can get like three f- packs for like um, a tenner. Okay. So that's what I like to wear. do you
2: wear new ones every day or are you quite good at no, putting the glue some off of, yeah
1: I can take the glue off yeah, and yeah, then yeah. put them on
2: you're now the CEO of Pineapple Studios charity Pineapple Community yes <laughs> tell me about that
1: um, so I've worked with Pineapple so they I was I shot a documentary in 2010 with the owner of Pineapple Studios mm-hmm. she was mentoring me and that's how we changed the name of what the company was before to move factory because she sort of coaxed us through that mm-hmm. um, and then we sort of kept in really a lot of contact she loves what I do out in the community and she sort of said look we're looking to start up charity here you know as part of my legacy um, and would you be the person to do it so in 2014 I literally started up her charity um, we don't actually operate as a registered charity anymore um, but it's still a massive programme so can people go along community. and just
2: dance then you
1: That's can all. so yeah. you can get in touch um it's particularly for people who are at a disadvantage so people from that can't usually afford classes or to come to a place like pineapple but we also go out and do like work like dance classes in schools for free we bring the schools to the pineapple studios just to have an experience day Mm -hmm. so it's just like using that kind of magic of pineapple really to kind of just help young people that love dance
2: you have a lot going on but are there Mm. any irons in the fire yeah. At the moment. <laughs> I am about to release something in the next couple of weeks
1: what is it I'm sending you one actually okay. I'm actually going to send you one um, I've created my own I won't call it a journal I'd call it more of a sort of measuring tool that people can use um, again it's very personal from me um, something that's really really helped me um, and I decided to create it into something that I can give to mm. others and give back
2: Really? So, yes, that's coming. How do you manage your time? Oh, I don't know. Do you work into the evening? I'll be honest, I've got a good
1: set of couple of workers that kind of work across board for me, so that's amazing. Um, but sometimes I do. But mm-hmm. I think it helps. I'm not in a relationship, mm-hmm. and I don't have any children. And, yeah, like, I'm quite good in terms of, like, spreading out my time. Mm-hmm. But I tell you one thing, the biggest thing is that everything I do i do it because i love it so that is the great thing it's like anything gets tedious i just can't do it (laughs) yeah but everything that i do and i'm working on at the moment is the really really cool stuff and it's all about future planning and it's all about planning really really cool projects so
2: i'm gonna finish by asking you the questions i ask all my guests yeah so what to your mind's been your greatest triumph either career or personal oh my god uh beating cancer what one piece of advice would you give your younger self and what age would you return to?
1: Age 13. Post-sexual abuse, it would have to, you know, coming out of the sexual abuse, I would have to say to myself, stop worrying. Worry, worry, worry has been like the bane of my life, which has caused a lot of the anxieties that I have. So that would be the thing.
2: Instead of worrying, what would you put in its place? Knowing everything is going to be OK. Mm-hmm. I think that is
1: it. It's like, just know everything's going to be okay and everything's going to work out in your favour and you can
2: overcome anything. Mm. Can you name three people dead or alive who you'd like to have at a dinner party?
3: I've been thinking about this. <laughs> oh, that's what you I've
1: literally been thinking about this. Whew. Um, oh my God. <laughs> what a tricky question. I have so many people that I would invite to this dinner party. Oh, my God, I don't know. My grandma, okay. who is dead, um, who died in 2013. She's, like, my best person On your
2: mum's side? So.
1: Yeah, my yeah. mum, my mum's step-mum. De- who else
2: I would invite? What was she like?
1: Oh, she was just, like, the person who you just went to for everything. Right. She was amazing. She was this fantastic role model. You know, she adopted children. She's fantastic. I just absolutely... Just that person that just helped us through a lot. And when I was going through the sexual abuse, she was really reassuring and lovely and just had our, just always had our backs yeah. um, in terms of that. And I would invite um, one of my really, really good friends who is just not around at the moment. He's going through a lot of stuff. So I would invite him to the dinner party. And the last person I would invite, probably one of my best friends, okay. um, just for laughter.
2: Okay. And to help
1: me make the cocktails.
2: Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> You're the first person who hasn't gone for a big celebrity.
1: No, I,
2: d- I don't get phased. I think I'm like
1: in that place where I've met so many celebrities. Obviously, the work that I do is just cross board. I meet people all the time, particularly working for Pineapple and stuff. Mm. And I just think these are just normal people like ourselves, you know, and I don't know them in that degree. So I'd rather have people I know than what I don't know. No.
2: Oh. Well, thank you so much for coming. No, Pineapple thank you for, for coming.